Okay, everybody. Hello, this is Michael, and this is Here Comes the Spider Cast, number 13. This week we are talking about July 1981. As always, I am joined by my co host, uh, Josh Mervell, and uh, we're going to be uh, going through Amazing Spider Man number 218, Marvel Team Up 107, and Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider Man number 56. Right, and this is a very special episode because for the first time ever in our 13-week history, we have a special co-host. Would you right. like to introduce yourself, co-host? Uh, hi, what up? It's me, your boy, Bex Luther. <laughs> <laughs> so Bex Luther uh, has been a regular on the Comic Book Syndicate video web series slash TV show for several years now. She's joined us on many episodes of Quasar Chronology, including number 13, which by the time this airs will be last week's episode. And you were on, I think, one or two before then and one or two after. Yeah, I think there was there was the one, there was the Dowser one for sure. And then there was that weird <laughs> Hulk parade one. Oh, that was a weird one. <laughs> yep. I think that was the last, that was the final episode. So in case you don't, listeners don't know, we pre-recorded all the Quasar Chronology episodes ahead of time. Right. All of the other podcasts we do are recorded week to week, but that one was already finished a while ago. And that was the last appearance of Quasar until 1989 or 90 or mm-hmm. whatever. So. Really? That was... we'll, yeah. That was his big send off. <laughs> oh my goodness. He was in like four panels. <laughs> I know. It's embarrassing. Uh, as, uh, as you know, that's not really much different from anything else from the Quasar chronology, though. I think, I think the majority of the comics that I reviewed for that, he was just in it for like a panel or so. Well, I think the low point was when um, my friend Mara Mara, uh, reviewed um, Fantastic Four Annual 14. Right. And both of us did not, we couldn't find him in the comic. So I had to, I had to Google it. It turns out the only thing that appears in the comic is his wrist. Oh my goodness. There's a shot of uh, all the superheroes flying in the air and it's like his wrist and his wristband. That's hilarious. Yeah, because when she showed it to me, I was like, isn't that Captain Marvel? And you were like, no, it's his wristband. So I was like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure. Okay. He's there. Awesome. Okay. So enough of a quasar. I'd love yeah. to keep talking about quasar, but we have another podcast dedicated to that. This is about Spidey. Mm-hmm. And so this week we have um we're gonna start off with Amazing Spider Man two eighteen. And this is um yet again another issue written by Denny O'Neill and drawn by John Romita Jr. Um, so before we jump into this, uh, Becca, do you know anything about these two creators before we uh, get into the story? I mean, the art looks pretty familiar, and I'm sure I've read stuff from him before, but I don't recognize the name. Okay. But so Daniel, ne- yeah, Daniel O'Neill's most famous. He um, he he wrote Batman in the late '60s and early '70s with Neil Adams, and he did the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series with Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, he's also the guy that rebooted Wonder Woman, gave her the white jumpsuit, and took away all her powers. Oh, you know, because she was yeah. a spy. Yeah, exactly. For exactly. some reason, that's when she was a spy, right? <laughs> right, right. She kind of had the. She was, she just, was just like Black Widow. Yeah, Diana, exactly. She was Diana Prince. So, <laughs> I, when I came into comics as a kid, Denny O'Neill always had this legendary status. But everything I've read by him, I've been pretty much disappointed by. And that includes these issues of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this story. So it's kind of the culmination of an ongoing story where they've introduced Hydro-Man. They brought back Sandman. And at the end of the last issue, 
Uh, they merged together into one giant monster, which I'd always heard about as a kid. What a cool story it was. What a cool idea. And now I've read it. And once again, I'm disappointed. Wow. Okay, yeah. So, so disappointing. Josh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. We, we were talking last week. You, you, were, you were saying that you were really excited because you had heard a lot of good things about these two issues. And mm-hmm. last issue, I was like, oh, it's kind of disappointing. It must pick up in, the, in you know, part two. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it exactly. really does not. If anything, it's a little bit worse. I think, uh, I, I like it's it's really just a King Kong ripoff. And oh my god, it's embarrassing. I, I think the only redeeming quality of that is the fact that they make reference to it being King Kong uh, ripoff. <sighs> yeah, I it's, don't know if it makes it better or worse. Uh, at least, at least they they knew enough to you know call themselves out. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was it was rough. Becca, what's your first impression? Uh, why do you make me read these, Mike? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, there you go. There um, you go. I was like, "What? Hydra Man and Sandman together?" And then, like, by the third page, I was like, "Oh, never mind. I'm out." And I'm then I had to it. force yeah. myself to read it. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, at first I was like, "Look at this cover," because Spider Man's buns are out. So I was like, "Oh, is this gonna be good?" No. <laughs> I shouldn't have shouldn't have assumed it's like I don't and Spider-Man's just a huge jerk in all of it yep oh that's my we, goodness we, Spider-Man under Denny O'Neill is a complete asshole especially to Deborah Whitman this girlfriend. is honestly nothing compared to previous <laughs> issues he's such a jerk it's like, insane I, I was like your jokes aren't funny you're just being rude to everyone around you yeah like, and then he's got this weird hero complex that I'm not used to reading from Spider-Man where he's like, well, I guess I'll save the day again since my pictures don't work out. Like, right. all yep. right, relax, dude. I just, it really took me out of it because I was like, oh, ready to read some classic Spider-Man. But nope, she just, no, I- he's a jerk to his girlfriend. He's a jerk to the other girl. Um, What's her name? Right. So Deb Whitman. Deb, yeah. Yeah. Is yeah, his Deb is sort of was his girlfriend, but not like really. Shit for yeah. Six months. Yeah. Like every single issue, he's blown her off. He's been rude to her. She's like my those one issue, the, the issue that Hydro Man is introduced, uh, I believe, or, or this is like leading up to Hydro Man's backstory. He, she's pleading with Peter Parker to talk to Spider Man. Please, please, my uncle's in danger. I, I really feel like he's gonna get hurt. And Peter Parker says to her, ah, not right now, Deb. I can't really deal with that. And walks away. And doesn't, like, doesn't acknowledge her uncle again until, like, two or three issues later. He, mm-hmm. Like, he's swinging around New York like, ah, I better check in on Deb's uncle, I guess. Like, he, and then he does the same thing the next issue. And he's like, yeah. is it, I can't remember if it's her or someone else asked him to help with something that has to do some somebody on like a boat he's like hey sorry you know being out on a boat's not my style see you later oh, that's it God. a complete asshole yeah complete asshole and then he he uh he's been dating this girl deborah whitman for months a couple issues ago he flat out cheated on her made it with another but girl but the thing is though they he were did? like going on yep they were going on dates but he always commented on like whoa deb deb seems like she kind of has feelings for me but then she he'll be like, "Hey, you want to go to the opera? We'll grab a we'll grab a bite and go to the opera." And then halfway through, he'll be a dick and just ditch her. 
<laughs> like it's uh like it's it's one thing if peter parker breaks plans because he has to be spider-man right. that's part of his character but he just flat out just ditches her and just dicks her around and mm-hmm. like i said cheats on her and um anyway so yeah, yeah so then, it doesn't get any better than that like, as i'm reading along and then he's like he was talking about doing that kind of stuff to her and then he was like <laughs> right. let's go get coffee and she's <laughs> like actually i met a nice guy who's like just a normal nice good looking guy who's stable and isn't gonna dump me at the slightest moment and he's like what a jerk i hate that guy like immediately yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. i'm like oh my god peter calm down like this you you toss this girl around and she found someone better and now you're mad about it <laughs> mm-hmm. i feel bad yeah. this, this is he this is like peter parker only by name honestly right. because everything about him is kind of backwards He's really unfunny and not very heroic as Spider-Man and he's a jerk and doesn't really care about his problems as Peter Parker. And it it really feels like the opposite of everything that this character is supposed to be. He's supposed right. to be that everyday, you know, person when he's Peter Parker and then mm-hmm. the fact that he's a superhero kind of gets in the way with that and just makes things worse. Where this it, it it's really just Parker's fault. Yeah, if anything he's supposed to be a do-gooder to a fault right Right. like he's supposed to help out his aunt may and help out his friends and because of that he gets he gets sort of uh, stepped on by j jonah jameson right kind of me he's like a victim he's like a victim of circumstance but in this it's completely his fault Mm -hmm. well does he do anything until like no. the very very end of this issue like he doesn't save anyone he just gets his butt kicked by not sandman and then kind of fiddles around in other people's lives and and then at the very end he's like well they're dead (laughs) yeah because it's actually the whatever these are the police or whatever that actually defeat this creature so he doesn't really do anything he throws a tarp on the the mud monster i think that's it it's a curtain the curtain right yeah like yeah and i mean he saves um i'm trying to figure out sadie he saves her at the end because because when they explode the monster she plummets to her doom yeah, oh, you're right. Okay, now that you're mentioning Sadie, I gotta bring up. Do you remember that thought bubble he has about? I think it's about her. What a jerk! I mean, yeah. yeah. What a jerk! <laughs> what? I'm trying to find it. Was it was right something now. like not much of a looker or something like that. Yeah, but not everybody's... much of a looker. Um, say, um, jeez, I gotta find it. Oh yeah, yeah, page nine. Page nine. Digital nine. Okay. So he's like, sheesh. I'd say it's a beauty and the beast number. <laughs> Except that Sadie doesn't exactly qualify as a beauty. Like, like would are you Peter kidding Parker me? ever think that? No. Uh, so rude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and well, then, like, it's like both of their parts seem to be infatuated with Sadie Frickett, which proves there's no accounting for taste. A monster is going to her house, Peter. Oh, my God. Does it matter yeah. if she's hot? <laughs> Just save her. Really? No, I... and, uh. Well, okay. Sorry, go ahead. No, it just happens like throughout the issue he has to reiterate that like she's ugly like okay we get mm-hmm. i get it mm-hmm. she's no deb like i know who I wrote know. this and even if she was deb you you wouldn't care yeah <laughs> yeah exactly. still blow her so off and like, not really shit, care yeah. about her life um Ugh. so now uh, as far as the actual plot i i just think it's honestly it's garbage like mm-hmm. i don't think it, it, it's 
Ugh, like when they unveil the creature and he's got like this little cape on, like it's just ridiculous. Oh, I you know? like his like, little cape and his little shorts. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like, it's basically like a costume, right? He's got like a belt. He's got like underwear right. and like a little, I don't know. I and, mean, and it's supposed to be that homage to King Kong where they take him from the island and they bring him back sure. to New York and he's chained up and everybody's, you know, paid to go see him. So I, I kind of get that, but the story doesn't work. So this doesn't work. No, you know what I mean. Like if they if they built up like a good kind of parody of King Kong, I think it would have had a better payoff. This whole like right. cape bit with him being tied up in the uh, you know theater, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it, the other oh, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna no. say, and it doesn't work. Him getting mad because he's not like getting mad at his lack of freedom. His right. girlfriend's cheating on him, and that's why he's mad. Like right in front of him. <sighs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, the one thing that we always comment about Denny O'Neill's stories is they end very abruptly. <laughs> this one was not as abrupt, but what did you think of the ending, Becca? Um, where Sandman and Hydra-Man are just dead, and yeah. <laughs> this woman is crying because both of the men that she potentially might love are are dead, and then Spider-Man goes, well, that was a King Kong parody, and then it's yeah. over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to the uh, Denny O'Neill run of Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> it just like ends so it's like yeah, everything happens in the last four pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's she... no resolution. It just and, ends. And what's so crappy too is the beginning part is so slow. It's yeah, so it's like painfully slow. We have this like unnecessary bit about this girl in class who's wearing a bandana and every, like two guy two of his friends are trying to rip the bandana off to see what her deal is. Is that in this one? No, that's not in this one. That's in that, spectacular. Is it? Yeah, that's spectacular. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. No, this one <laughs> This one has Go the ahead. weird um like Matt Murdock in the middle, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Where he's just No, kind of- no, no, no. <laughs> Matt Murdock is is in Marvel Team Up. No, he's in this one too cuz he's like, "Oh, technically both the people are one person now, so it's a different person, so you can't charge them. And then they're like, yep, acquitted. Oh, right. <laughs> oh. It gets confusing. Yeah. A little bit. And then, I just, and then he doesn't take any money for it. And I'm just like, why was that here? I don't understand. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so we all agree the story is shit. Let's talk about the art. Um, I actually, as usual, really like the art. Yeah. Sometimes Ramit is not quite as good as usual, but this issue he was fine. Yeah. What did you guys think? Uh, Josh, what did you think? Yeah, John Romita Jr., uh, as always, is really good. Um, I really love the look and the style that he's uh, used for the clay monster. I can't think yeah. uh, he, uh, he has a name. I don't think they really ever use it much. They call him the Beholder. <laughs> uh, the Mud Thing. The Mud Thing. The mud thing. Okay, oh, it's creative. <laughs> yeah, really. It's Spider-Man versus Mud Thing. Um, I mean, he came from Hydra-Man and Sandman, like not very that's creative. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think uh, a real big uh, part of that has to do with Jim Mooney because his inking is fantastic. I think on the Mud Man. Right. Right. It is. Um, but you know what's funny is the cover is actually drawn by Frank Miller. Okay. And I think the interior art is much better. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Frank, this is early Frank Miller, but even though I, I can forgive it because it's early, it's still kind of ugly. Like, Spider-Man does not look good, in my opinion. 
No. Uh, the monster looks decent, but if you just click to the second page, you can see how much better Ramita's For rendition sure. of the, the mud thing is, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, because when I was first reading it, the first, like, three pages, it looks like, where, yeah. like, he's just starting to show it off, I was like, this thing looks cool. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that the water's, like, repelling off of him. and Right. Right. The cover, it just looks like, like, the thing. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it really and, does. They just gave him, like, and so, as soon as you go into the issue, it's, like, so much more character, and he's so different looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and, it just kind of goes downhill. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, the thing is, that's that's another reason why I was so excited, because uh, last issue ended on this big cliffhanger of uh, the Mud Monster and Sandman and Hydromane combining, and him, like, crawling out of the ocean. Uh, and it was storming, so it kind of ended pretty much how this first panel starts. So I was like, "Dang, mm-hmm. I, I actually really want to know." This might be the one of the first times uh, on this podcast that I'm like, "I've got to read this next issue." Yeah, and yeah, that must have been so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're hyped so- for this interesting story, and then it's just a stupid, right. stupid love story. I, because I think that oh, we should have known it could have been really fun to you know. Uh, play with these two characters uh, combining together both because they're kind of opposites in their their power types and the mm-hmm. fact that they also hated each other so yeah. having having True. them combine would have been cool to kind of see their thoughts kind of combine and fight with each other and that could have been a fun way for Spider-Man to defeat the monster was have but have, yeah he doesn't do anything with right that. so ha- I like yeah. kind of have the two minds fight each other and that conflict is what ends up defeating him in some way like there's so mm-hmm. many ways interesting ways that they could have gone with this and they went with a awful parody with nothing yeah, yeah. Like, there's like, the thing is there's no reason to do King Kong no. what does this guy have to do with King Kong nothing nothing you know? yeah anyway so anyway recommendations I don't recommend it I recommend the art that's about it what about you guys Josh yeah I, I definitely don't recommend this uh, the, the art again as always John mm-hmm. Romita Jr. does an amazing job Jim Mooney's great inking actually I think somebody else also did inking with Al, in Al Milgram one. Al Milgram okay yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah it it's another beautiful issue but uh, another dumb issue yep okay becca what do you think yeah kind of the same thing it's like it's it didn't like aesthetically i think it looks really cool like i wish mm. they could have done anything else with it like peter could have mm-hmm. figured out a way mm-hmm. to to get hydromana and the sandman to separate sadie could have still been involved in that because she seems like the only like thing in both of their lives that they both like so he could have used her. I don't know. The art's really pretty. I'm just looking at like some of this like stuff at near the end with um with the mud thing, and he kind of almost looks like a mix between Mothman and Swamp Thing, and that's mm. really really cool. It's just unfortunate that it's such as soon as you see it, you're like oh, two villains merged together, and as soon as you see that, and then it just goes downhill, and Peter's just a mm-hmm. jerk, and and he doesn't actually do anything to prevent anything, and yeah. then. The, the the way that they solve it in the last like minute they're like oh the government has what is it <laughs> deadly fumes blanket the monster they have no effect on humans well thank god mm-hmm. like what De- what is that <laughs> deadly yeah. monster fumes yes <laughs> and then they explode the monsters 
Why? I uh-huh. I also love that at the end of the issue, some poor dude is just shoveling <laughs> Sandman into a car. <laughs> like, oh my god. Yeah, they're just shoveling the sand into dumpsters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can and we... then they're like... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, oh, then they get this junk swept up. The science boys want to look at it. <laughs> the science boys. The it's science boys got to take a look at this. <laughs> what were we going to say, Josh? Oh, I was just going to say, also, Peter Parker is looking pretty uh, schnazzy, too, when he's at the opera with this, like, giant blue popped collar over his all-white suit. Oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah, he shouldn't be able to afford that. Yeah. Maybe it's a rental. I, I anyway. was confused at first. I'm like, who is this? Oh, that is Peter yeah. Parker. Okay. Wait, where did he get the suit? Yeah, I don't know. Ridiculous. Okay, that's like, and that's the least of our worries. Okay, let's yeah, move really. on. <laughs> We're like, no, let's I want to talk on. more about the suit. We need to do a deep dive into the suit. Yes. Where did it come from? <laughs> Okay, so now, unfortunately, we have to stop talking about Amazing Spider-Man and and start talking about Marvel Team-Up. This issue is with Spider-Man and She-Hulk. This is number 107. And just the same as the last few months, it's written by Tom DeFalco and drawn by Herb Trimpey. But this time, Tom DeFalco gets help from Jim Shooter. And uh, for those that don't know, Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief at Marvel uh, uh, for, I think, from... 78 to 87 and uh, we've talked about it before we've talked about him on flea market fantasy his run is considered one of the best periods in the company's history so he's also known as a as a good writer and a decent artist and so um i don't know if i really noticed a difference in this issue but i did enjoy it um i'd like to know what you guys think though josh what's your take on this one uh yeah this one was i think better than amazing spider-man yeah uh, it definitely goes in some weird places, but yeah. I'll, I'll save my comments for later. Yeah, it, it it kind of is a little bit all over the place, but still somewhat more coherent and right. feels more like a story sure. rather than just kind of like a bunch of random events that just happened to Spider-Man. Um, right, okay. So let's. This is this one's probably probably going to be the most complicated to discuss. Uh, Becca. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the plot or do you want to just give your reaction or what every time I do one you give me some pseudo feminist bull crap and I just funny though it was coincidence it's pure it was it I was just like I was like man killer oh my god I haven't heard about man killer in such a long time we were we were talking about having you on and and then read the comics. So we actually yes. asked you to be on before we even read these. So And then you're like, oh, no, Becca's going to hate it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this is a weird story. So to summarize, it's basically there's this woman who's like an activist. She has been, she was, she's confessed to her crimes. And so she's been arrested. Jennifer Walters, who is the She-Hulk, is her lawyer. Mm-hmm. But then... Another character named Mankiller uh, kind of steps in. And do you want to take it from there, Becca, and kind of as best you can summarize what happens? So for some reason, Mankiller needs this other woman, and that's never explained. Um, and, like, she doesn't do anything. But Mankiller comes in, and she needs this this activist woman's help to fight the uh, regime of oppressive men, which, mm-hmm. I mean, relatable. Uh, <laughs> but... It just goes on, like, 
the deep end kind of i don't know it just seems very convoluted and she just really hates men and she wants to destroy all men and all of her girls fight and then she hulks is also there yes it's it's really there's so many weird things about this issue um for oh and then it just ends yeah yeah then it just ends exactly right i i want to briefly talk about she hulk really quick because for considering she's the guest star of this issue she doesn't come in until the end and her characterization now i'm unfamiliar with her at this point but her characterization here is completely different from what i think we're all used to i i assume right where she's like like because i'm used to the she hulk that jennifer walters is she hulk right Right. like she she wears a suit she goes to work every day right Mm -hmm. like she's a lawyer but she's she hulk but here it's a little bit closer to the incredible hulk where she kind of except she can control her transformations but she's still a completely different personality right i think around this time uh it was around when the incredible hulk tv show was airing and she was created because the television network wanted to create a character named She-Hulk and do a spin-off TV show and have them tie in with the Incredible Hulk TV show. And Marvel caught wind of it and then created the character in the comics before the TV show could. That way, they didn't have the rights to make them the TV show. That's true. We just so, talked about this on Flea Market Fantasy. Oh, okay. I, I think they were, they were specifically well. scared because... There was the six million dollar man, and then they spun off right. Bionic Woman. So they're like, "Oh no! If they can do that, they can do it with this right. too." So, so I, literally o- over the weekend, they they created a comic. Yeah. John Buscema drew it, and they had it out by Tuesday. And I think that that's why she feels closer to to the Hulk because she was pretty mm-hmm. much just Woman Hulk at this point. Right. She didn't really have much of a characterization of you know of her set like of her own because she was just a spin-off of hulk because sure. they needed to do it before somebody else did right um so becca, uh, are uh, you familiar with she hulk becca yeah i've read a lot of she hulk um okay yeah uh it's she's just a hot hulk at this <laughs> yeah. point and also a lawyer but she doesn't do much lawyering in fact she pawns it off onto matt murdoch early on in the issue uh, yeah She's like, oh, I can't be a lawyer here for some reason because I'm a lawyer somewhere else. That's how that works, right? Yeah, yeah you know what? <laughs> even if it does work that way, it's, it's like, a comic why book. even, why have her in the comic then? Right. Like, it's ridiculous. It's because it's man killer and it has to be the juxtaposition between the liberal <laughs> feminists versus the good old wholesome conservative women back home, you know? Goodness. So let's let's. <laughs> I'm let's being into, very it's, sarcastic. It's, <laughs> let's get into this. So the first thing I, I thought when I was reading this comic is I'm gonna post this as an example of the good old days when there was no politics in comics because that's mm. something all these, uh, you know, people like to say online about how they're so sick of politics in comics. So we know that they've always been there. Mm-hmm. Now, not to say that just because you include politics it means you're doing them well but uh becca what is your impression of tom defalco and jim shooter's depiction of i guess feminism in the late or early 80s (laughs) i don't think they understood it they i i feel like they're on the right side but they just Mm -hmm. it's like he he's got the enthusiasm in the right place but i don't I don't think he's there yet. It's 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 interesting because you have the juxtaposition between Man Killer and between this this previous um, 
feminist activist who, who by the sounds of it, was someone who maybe went too far with some mm. of her activism, people got hurt. Which, I, I mean, I can understand that from, like, a war perspective, but from feminism, mm. I don't know what she could have possibly done to hurt people. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, she, she's like, oh, yeah. I have to blow this building up for women's rights. Like, I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, she asked for equal pay too hard and killed yeah, somebody. Exactly. Like, <laughs> the glass it's, ceiling broke and shards went everywhere, yeah. and it was a massacre. Um, so I'm like, and like, they're kind of like, oh, this is a good feminist, and this is a bad feminist. Goodness. And then right. She-Hulk is also there in her underwear, because she has to be, right? Because she's She-Hulk. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I guess. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Isn't that so funny too? That it's like they're they're trying to show you what feminism is, but then also having Jennifer Walters burst out of all of her clothes. I mean, <laughs> like it doesn't bother me that much. It's just a strange. It's like these weirdly three weird feminist perspectives is you have the the she-hulk like i can dress however i want and it's empowering Mm -hmm. you have like the the jennifer walters and the other activists who are like just just women in the world and then you have man killer whose name is man killer Mm -hmm. um but i don't know it just it's like it could have been anyone it didn't have to be she-hulk right right same thing with spider-man actually it could have been anyone. It didn't have to be Spider-Man. That, that seems to be the theme yeah. with Marvel Team-Up, is Spider-Man just shows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I think in the last Marvel Team-Up we read, he just showed up. Yeah, which one was that again? Some with Quasar in it. <laughs> okay, okay. Some with yeah. Quasar's left arm in it, probably. <laughs> um, um, okay, so one thing I want to say about the uh, co-writer, Jim Shooter, and... I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story, Becca, but Jim Shooter is the one that wrote the famous story in Avengers 200 where Carol Danvers gets essentially raped. And yeah. the Avengers... Yes. I was like, but, how do I know him? I didn't want to look it up. But like, oh that's the, the Marcus guy, right? <laughs> and then, then he impregnates her with um, himself. Yep. Yeah, yes. I remember yes, that that's one. That's story. Yep. So... Uh, uh, I oh, oh I hate this. I mean, uh, I oh. changed my mind. I hate this. <laughs> I hate every part of this. Jim Shooter is a divisive figure. Um, I do like Jim Shooter, but our pal Mike Dell um, from Flea Market Fantasy, uh, he loves Jim Shooter. He thinks he's a genius. Um, I do think Jim Shooter is a is a prodigy, a child prodigy. He started writing for DC Comics when he was thirteen. However. He does have some strange political views and some strange uh, opinions, as, as we've seen in this comic and other comics he's done. But overall, I mean, the politics of the story are wacky, but the actual story was fairly enjoyable. At least it was a story. Right. I, kind of. I don't know. Um, okay, let's jump to the art. <laughs> okay, so yeah. Herb Trimpey. Uh, Josh and I have talked about Herb Trimpey a, a, a few times on the show. Uh, Herb Trimpey is a classic Marvel artist from the late 60s and early 70s. He had like a several year run on the Incredible Hulk. And then he also uh, was the first artist to do G.I. Joe. So most of the those old original, you know, first years worth of G.I. Joe, the covers, the interiors, all the box art, all that stuff. That was all Herb Trimpey. So I just want to ask you, Becca, what is your impression of this art? Uh, I was OK. Some of the. Some of it's a little cluttered, I think, for me, mm-hmm. for my taste. 
Um, he can only draw one kind of woman, which is something that I always notice right away. I always okay. notice if if there's women in the comics, if there's more than one woman in a comics, which is always, it's rare. Um, mm. I always notice how they're drawn, and if they're distinguishable by anything other than their hair color, which in this case, no. <laughs> um, Man Killer has angry eyebrows. That's mm-hmm. that's the difference. But She Hulk also has the angry eyebrows. So if you right. changed their skin colors, they're interchangeable completely. Um, whereas you have your male characters outside of Spider Man, who's obviously Spider Man, that always have like they have like different. Like Jay Jonah is so distinctive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, aside from like the things that like really bother me in comics, it's not like the the women are drawn like horribly like they're not overly sexualized which is nice it's just um she hulk is constant she's drawn to not look ugly like right which is something i noticed too like i like when powerful female characters look powerful they don't just look like delicate objects that punch like Mm. she's got some muscles in some panels but most of the time she's got her sexy lips and her sexy hair and her sexy bod and she's green. <laughs> but uh it was it was okay. I like the art in the last one better. The the art the design for this weird spaceship sucks. Yeah. <laughs> the the man killer. Yeah, that was bizarre. That was just I I think my overall impression of Tom DeFalco cuz we do usually enjoy his scripts, but they they just seem to be a like I guess you could say slightly more childish than like the ones by Roger Stern, like just throwing in the spaceship right. and like the whole man killer character. I mean, it's definitely like he knows how to structure a story. He's got a lot of experience, but he just seems to there, there seems to be no no limit to how stupid you know what I mean? How how childish an idea he'll use that'll throw in, even though he is actually a pretty good writer. Yeah, I I think with him too, his art is good until it's not is the best way I can describe it. because it, it, oh, Trimpy? Yeah, yeah. Because for the per, for the most part, a lot of the stuff looks really good, but then there are some panels I'm looking at it like, what is supposed to be happening here? Like what is this? Like some some of them are just really off. And I mean even like the spaceship changing from page to page. Right. Like it just mm-hmm. looks different. Like if you look at original page fourteen I didn't even realize that was the spaceship the first time I went through and read this. There, there's a there's here. a, a, a okay. panel right in the middle. It just looks like a like a almost like a regular car that the tires were taken off and there's a gun up top. Up top. Kind of looks like a toaster. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really. Like it's just. It doesn't look like the same. Like if you go from the panel to panel, it doesn't look like the same vehicle. No. And then. There's, oh yeah, I see it now. Okay. There's also um, there's one panel on original page twenty one. It's the bottom left corner. Spider Man is doing this squat and <laughs> he's doing Yikes. this really awful squat. His arms, it's definitely it doesn't look like it's supposed to be foreshortening. So one arm looks like a tiny T Rex arm. The other one's kind of just flailing. His legs are completely the opposite way. He's crouched all the way down. Like, it's just, yeah, sometimes it, it looks good, and then others, it's it just doesn't. I think, I think my impression of him is that he doesn't care 
about the individual image. He cares more about the overall story, and he's usually known as a good storyteller. But mm -hmm. I think even in this issue, the story is so dense that a lot of these panels, like Becca said, are really crammed together with a lot of stuff going on. So sometimes it's hard to follow, eh? Mm -hmm. So it's just funny because despite everything we've said, and whereas with today's comics, they take five minutes to read. Sometimes there's four bubbles per page of dialogue. At the very least, it seems like they had a really dense, like they had a really long story to tell, and there was a lot of it, lot, a lot of story to it, and they, they seem like they're all trying their best, but it's just such a weird, lopsided story, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just a strange experience. I don't know. I, it's like I can't put my finger on it, but something's really wacky about this issue. But despite that, is I it the man it, killer? I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I've never heard of the man killer. Did you, Becca? Um, I only know about it from a feminist Tumblr blog. So really? <laughs> about like oh. top ten like worst <laughs> feminist characters in comics or something. Like something you know, that I would absolutely follow. You know what's funny is this supervillain kind of seems like it would be a Tumblr blog. Oh like, yeah, <laughs> like that would be a good uh, Miss Marvel villain. No, would be man like, killer? Yeah, like, like an updated man killer. She's a trans exclusive, <laughs> like radical feminist. Yeah, <laughs> like she's she's the she's the feminist that the other feminists don't associate with because she's right. too crazy. <laughs> or the ones that the conservatives are afraid of but don't actually exist. That's man killer. Oh my goodness! I mean, I do like her big female symbol right on her vagina. That's oh, great. I didn't notice that. I Hold didn't on. even notice me, uh, that. Are you kidding me? Uh, page yeah. 10. Yeah, it's kind of hard to miss. Yeah, and let you point it out. <laughs> oh or, sorry, maybe God. it's on her uterus because that's where women get their power. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> so, Becca, do you recommend this comic? Sure. It was, it was a fun <laughs> ride. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. Man Killer's hilarious, at least to me. Mm. The She-Hulk is... She's drawn well uh and mm -hmm. everyone dies at the end so sure 10 out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> okay josh what do you think you know i i think i would weirdly recommend this to show mm -hmm. people how crazy comics get at times yes um and and i was entertained reading it so i i yes. think exactly. that i would recommend this one more than i would recommend amazing spider-man yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I agree. I recommend it for that same reason. At least there's interesting ideas, even mm -hmm. though they're all insane. But anyway. <laughs> okay, so now for our final pick. Right. This is by far my favorite issue. Okay. Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 56, featuring Spidey and the Jack-O-Lantern. So I've never... I'm very familiar with Jason McIndale because he's the second Hobgoblin, but I'd never read a story with the Jack-O-Lantern. So this was really cool for me. Uh, Becca, you can start off. Uh, what was your impression of the story? Well, I love Jack-O-Lantern for a stupid reason. Um, back before Disney bought Marvel, uh, this story doesn't matter at all, actually. Uh, but back <laughs> before Disney bought Marvel, um, Niagara Falls had like this Marvel arcade on the mm. strip. And there was um, like a, a shooter, like a rail shooter where you would sit in a little car and you'd shoot bad guys. And one of them was Jack-O-Lantern. And, like, I would beg my mom and be like, I want to go on this every day. We're on vacation. And then I went back recently after Disney bought Marvel. And they took all the Marvel out. So when Spider-Man goes, we have to fight 
jack-o'-lantern. He goes, we have to fight. And that was basically <laughs> my experience reading this. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. That's And it's hilarious. still there. I think it's still there. If you go to the Not Marvel Arcade at Niagara Falls, the door handles, they used to be M's, but they're you can see where they used to be M's, Marvel M's. That's um, wow. amazing. Okay. But I, that's my experience with this comic. It reminded me of that exact I, moment in my life. That's so the funny. Pshh, because <laughs> who even cares about jack-o'-lantern? They, they no might offense. as well have just like dubbed in a robot saying, redacted. Yeah, like, but like they still used the video of jack-o'-lantern, so it didn't matter. That's ridiculous. Oh, my God. Well, I remember Steve McNiven, the artist for Civil War, he complained about having to draw jack-o'-lantern because he thought he looked idiotic because he was just a guy with a, you know, a jack-o'-lantern. Is that why they killed him off in Civil War? <laughs> I believe so, yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Because I think, Wait. I think Punisher just, like, explodes his pumpkin head. <laughs> I, think so. I, I think he, I think Punisher literally comes up behind him and just blows his pumpkin head to smithereens. Wow. Okay, I forgot about that. Yeah. But he didn't. Well, he didn't find a man in a green outfit with a Jack Lantern costume who rides a pogo stick. Cool. Okay. Cool. Yes. That that's that's what I wanted to bring up. Oh I, boy. I I've also never read a story with Jack Lantern, and I I always see him with this like boogie board looking thing like a weird disc that he's always riding on and i assumed that it was like a hoverboard kind of like right, kind right. of like a, a goblin glider right but why sure, would you sure. assume that that sounds cool but it's like a pogo stick board thing it's that like he actually... bounces around that's so funny <laughs> but you know what i actually feel sorry for him because <laughs> roger stern he puts so much thought into these villains we actually have a thought bubble on the end of uh, page 26 when he's like good lord that door weighed hundreds of pounds and he tossed it like it was nothing what's more he missed me by mere inches and i'm sure he did it on purpose he could have hit me but he didn't so he, he's then he's like he's just toying with me i'm nothing to someone as powerful as him i i i've got to get out of here i just love the fact that he's actually just scared of spider-man you know like you don't see that every day right um so i actually thought it was really cool like here's the thing this issue, we have to point out, this issue, I've never seen this before. It was actually drawn by Jim Shooter, who we oh. just mentioned. In the, yeah, he, he did the layouts. Jim Shooter did the finishes. But Jim Shooter is known for liking um, art that's sort of eye-level, mid-shot, very plain, very straightforward. Um, I'm not sure. He, might, he may get that from his um, history of working with DC Comics because that's what their art was like back in the 60s. But I actually really liked this art because it was so plain and straightforward. It, it almost reminded me of like Watchmen or like Steve Ditko. How every, everything's very mm. like mid-shot, you know. Um, uh, I don't want to say stiff, but it's sort of like every, everybody looks like real people. There's not a lot of action. There's not a lot of, you know, action poses. So I kind of like that. And so I actually really like this story, but um, what did you guys think about the art? First, we'll start with you, Josh. Yeah, I think the the art was pretty good. Uh, to be honest, I assumed that um, Marie Severin. Right, I, I assumed it was Marie yeah. Severin again, who has been doing the the past few issues of uh, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, and I didn't even notice it until you brought it up now. So yeah, I I enjoyed this one. Okay, uh, Becca, yeah. what do you think of the art? Uh, it was yeah. I mean, I really like Jack Lantern's design. Like, mm -hmm. I, sure. I I know I'm just like calling him a crap villain, but I actually really <laughs> really like the like the the Ghost Rider Firehead aesthetic. 
Um, mm-hmm. The fact that his dumb boogie board looks kind of like a scarecrow <laughs> hat. Like I think sure. I think that's cool, and I like the way that he's drawn in these in this issue. He's he's drawn very interesting. And, like, he's always so eye-catching. And then there's, like, when he's, like, uh, I think it's page 23 where, like, he turns the lights off. Like, that's that's yeah, probably my favorite yeah. art is when he's, like, Spider-Man's in the dark. And, like, that's really cool and it's eye-catching. really cool. It's definitely, like, yeah. well done and kept my attention. Maybe more so than the, than the other two that we were reading. Sure. Mm-hmm. But then when it's not, when it's just people, I was kind of bored. It was pretty generic, but it's just like Peter and Aunt May. I'm just like, okay. Right, when yeah. everyone's in the office, I'm just like, okay. Yeah. It looks kind of like an Archie comic at that point. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Like, very plain. Like, just unremarkable. But that's kind of what I liked about it. But I guess it just depends on taste. But uh, here's the thing. Let's talk. This is a weird story. So it's... I, I just want to say... Oh, did you want to say something else, Josh? I, I was just going to say, I think that I, I agree with you guys with the uh, the simplicity works well with a lot of uh-huh. like the action stuff or when it gets serious um i think a good example of that is even though it's a more mundane part on page or digital page 12 you have uh, after peter parker chases after the girl he runs away he yeah. kind of turns his head to deb and he's all red yeah. and yeah. i think the simplicity of that kind of shows the dramatic tension in his voice and what he's saying and then contrasted with Deb in the background um there's and there's that happens a lot in um in this issue with a lot of the dramatic lighting and sure kind of shading everybody in one color or even having the background of the panel be all one solid color a lot of the times being this bright red to kind mm-hmm. of make it pop out uh yeah i, I enjoyed it now, this is like I was going to say, this is a strange plot. So, what happens is Jack O' Lantern <laughs> uh, is sent to this hospital, okay? And basically, we find out. So, he's in this hospital bed in his full costume, <laughs> okay? Um, and the doctor is all upset because uh, they have to wait. I think they say they have to wait for. Is it is it Tony Stark or just Stark somebody International. from Yeah, Stark International to come and get into his costume, and he's all worried because they're not going to be able to help him out until that happens. But then Jack O'Lantern ends up waking up and kind of breaking out and like getting back together with his goons. And what we find out is that he actually planned to get into this hospital by swallowing a coma-inducing drug that was in one of his molars, one of his hollow teeth. And so he, because he realized it'd be easier to break out of this hospital than it would be to get out of the prison. And so it's kind of a weird plot, but I thought it was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, smart. I wouldn't have thought, like, he's not wrong. (laughs) It is easier to to fight doctors than it it is to get out of prison. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is smart. I think it, uh, I really like that idea, but I think that the, uh, the way it was done didn't work as well for me. Because uh-huh. it was all just kind of thrown at you at the last minute with him just spewing his plan rather than sure. kind of hinting it along the way that maybe there's something more going on and maybe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, oh, maybe he's not actually passed out, you know, or, or like hinting that it was his idea or something. It, it, he just wakes up after his goons break into the hospital to save him. And he goes, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I just wanted to let you know, I, I, that was all fake. I didn't actually slip into a coma. <laughs> yeah, it was my, it that's was my what tooth. I thought too. So right. I, I think that it could have been a really cool idea if they would have like set that up. Mm-hmm. But I know I also didn't hate it. 
I don't know. Yeah, it definitely felt like uh, f- like an afterthought. Yeah, I thought it was a cool idea. But did you also notice on that on page uh, digital fifteen how much time they spent explaining exactly how Spider Man swings away from that plane? Yeah, why? It was weird, eh? I don't know. It's like you, in any other comic that would have been like one panel, but they took the time to you know leaping from the front of the end of the pontoon. Spider Man swings to the apex of the arc, allowed by the length of webbing, and then let's go. The speed of his swing combines with that of the plane to snap him in high into the air, hundreds of feet high, and then he creates like a web parachute and floats down. I guess one thing is it kind of shows Roger Stern. He does put a lot of thought into how Spider-Man uses his powers and tries to give him creative ways to do it. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why. I, I like know, I the parachute. Cool. The parachute's really yeah. cute. Look at him in that little web mm-hmm. parachute. And like, <laughs> even at the beginning of the issue, he made a web backpack. Yeah, yeah I he love does. when he does that. Yeah. I like the web backpack. Whenever they bring it back, it makes mm-hmm. me happy. Mm-hmm. Even yeah, that, like, love it. That's a fun recurring thing that, that uh, has been happening for the past few issues of, of Peter Parker, I believe. And I yeah, I also really enjoy it. Cause like if he's gonna bring his camera around, where is he putting it? Right. My backpack. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I did. I do notice that there was some interesting showcases in Spider-Man's powers, like the way that he's like actively like clinging onto walls in the hospital and and things like that, mm-hmm. like in very different ways, where he's like trying to sneak in and then doesn't immediately, then immediately isn't sneaking. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like through a wall. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I like the, the backpack much better than the weird utility belt he has under his suit that just kind of shows up. I think he's always had that, though. Right. I think it, but, he's got but web like, cartridges in there. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the issue of Amazing... I think it was Amazing that we just read. He has a whole camera also in there, too. Like, it's a full-on camera. <laughs> okay. Like yeah, it's it's yeah. a giant bulky camera. Like I I can <laughs> okay. I can buy the the utility belt to hold the cartridges and everything. Like you know, or or he also has a light, I believe, so he can like tap it and a light a, a beam of light comes out or something like that. He uses it when he's diving and stuff. But he also just has like cameras and like big items and gadgets under there mm-hmm. at times when it's convenient for the plot. Well, if Batman so, can do it, Spider-Man can do it. Right, right. But Batman's whole thing is gadgets, right? He's got mm-hmm. he's got like a big utility belt around him with all of his junk that he's got. Yeah, it is. It does just look like he's pulling that camera right out of his pants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I also I want to talk about that weird subplot uh, at the uh, university right. where they're playing that prank on that girl. So, so mean! Oh my god! Yeah. <sighs> At least, at least Peter tries to intervene and help her, right? But then it happens right in front of him. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't do much good. But it's kind of a weird uh, scene to include, but I don't know. I, I guess I do like the fact that they're always developing his supporting cast, though. I thought that was cool. Oh, and then it's but, like Peter fighting for people's secrets. Just mm-hmm. like, oh, because he's Spider-Man. But like immediately... <laughs> I like how he's like, oh, Deb's talking to me again, and I'm just, like, crapping all over her. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if this was, like, because it really tries to push the fact that Peter Parker is a hero. Like, I, that's mm-hmm. really the whole vibe I get from that weird subplot is, oh, look at how great I am. I'm not going to let you guys 
pull a prank on this poor girl. Like, even Deb is okay with it. Like, that's weird. And then he ends up being right and being the good guy at the end. And I wonder if this is another stab by Roger Stern at Denny O'Neill's story. Could be. Storytelling. Because yeah, there was something, I think it was last uh, last week's podcast, we were talking about how he does something in uh, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man that felt like a jab at um, Denny O'Neill and how he writes Absolutely. Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. I think he is. I think he's commenting on him. Yeah. So I, I um, wonder if that's what this is as well. I don't think it was well done. I don't think it works. No, it was, it was bizarre. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So I, I, that's the only thing I thing I could possibly think of that, you know, would would make people I don't know think that this should be in here. Now I did like the, I want to talk about the ending because this was a classic. Uh, Peter Parker, mm-hmm. like Stanley, Steve Ditko esque ending with Peter being confronted by Aunt May, who's really angry at him because he didn't show up. Because, you know, this is one of the classic conflicts of Spider Man is that he can't do what he has to do as Peter because he's busy being Spider Man. So I really like this ending. What did you guys think of it, Becca? It was better than any of the other endings where it was just like, <laughs> oh, he's dead. Oh, they're dead. Like, yeah. This one was, it was, instead of just the plot ending, like, on a really weird note, and then it was just mm-hmm. over, it was like a, it was like, okay, the bad guy's been defeated, um, the Spider-Man mm-hmm. story's wrapped up, and then we wrap up Peter's story, too. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like a lot of the Spider-Man comics that I've, I've read, sometimes will do one or the other, but, like, this mm-hmm. one, it's like, there's still more to the story, mm-hmm. Peter's still a person, and still his own right. character, even outside of him as Spider-Man. And it's just right. nice to see him humanized like that, where it's like Aunt May is disappointed in him, and he's disappointed in himself, even though he knows he's doing the right thing. And just your basic, your basic good boy Peter, which was nice mm-hmm. from the first comic, where it was not that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I think you put it perfectly when when you said uh, it's a wrapping up both the Spider Man and the Peter Parker story. Because you're right, it, it really feels like they have Peter Parker at the beginning of the comic and have his problems, and then at the end, Spider-Man comes in and defeats the bad guy, and then the issue's over. Where this mm-hmm. one, it, it really does feel like both both sides of Peter Parker's story are concluded and actually have an ending for once. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely like the ending of this issue the best. Um, and I actually felt bad for Aunt May. I mean, it gets a little bit corny and a little too melodramatic at the end, but I think sure. it fits in with this kind of corny classic comic story with yeah. with a uh, you know a funny villain. Yeah, definitely more realistic than it would have been handled by Denny O'Neill. Yeah, for or sure. Or he would have just been like, "Whatever, May, I'm off to go yeah. bone yeah. chicks." Well, yeah, exactly. well, well, that's the thing. Denny O'Neill wouldn't have added this in. Because this, exactly. this is too much like Peter Parker, mm-hmm. right? So it, it would have just ended with uh, Peter Parker probably punching Jack-O-Lantern, mm-hmm. and knocking him off of his pogo stick, and then the cops <laughs> took him away, and he, right. swings, yeah, yeah. he swings off. That, Making that some weird been pumpkin pun. Yeah, he, put, yeah he, really. he would never put that much effort into one of his stories, I don't think. No. But anyway, you know, one other thing I want to talk about before we wrap up, because um, 
I have some of the original issues of these comics. So for this issue of Spectacular, I read the original issue and I noticed that I was enjoying it a lot more than reading digitally, which usually I don't mind digital. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm looking at them both side by side, both digital versions, you notice how Amazing Spider-Man has been recolored, right? But Spectacular just looks like a scan of the comic book. And it yeah. makes me appreciate, mm. I, I do like the original colors better. Like there's something to be said for like, they're a little bit faded out, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. saying I necessarily like the dots, but there's something about the, the, um, the, the, the thinness of the line and the original artwork. Like, did you guys notice the difference or did you not care? Uh, I actually read this on Marvel Unlimited. So okay. it's, it is very updated. And it looks like ah. it, it looks very digital. Okay. Um, but it, it looks like most other things on Unlimited. I did read the Marvel team-up, though, on online because I did. it's okay. not available on Marvel Unlimited. So okay. I, I do see what you're saying, though, with the photocopies yes. being kind of a little bit muddied. Like it feels yeah. like things kind of like blur together a little bit no i'm not saying i like the blurriness but i'm saying the actual color is a little bit faded mm -hmm. because it was done on newsprint where if you look at the issue of amazing it's almost like it's it's too saturated and too um flat maybe yeah. i don't know like becca what do you think uh well i was just like flipping back and forth to compare because i read them them both the digital ones that you sent me um right. and like I, I don't I think I enjoyed the coloring of like the saturated better just from okay. just because I'm used to more modern comics maybe and like sure. this one it didn't read as classic to me as it did read like washed out like there's some sure. scenes when they're like in the newsroom where it's just bright white and yellow and I'm just like okay I'm not really paying attention to the art as I'm reading I'm just reading to get past it gotcha okay whereas the the bolder colors would grab me more and I would pay attention more like um, I'd have to, I had to, when I was reading this one, I had to go back to reread some parts because I was like, oh, I, I just kind of like scanned it because the art wasn't sure. grabbing me enough. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. But gotcha. then there's some panels in um, Spectacular where, where I think Josh was talking about like the bright red where I was like, oh, so I pa would pause in my just mm -hmm. casual reading to like mm -hmm. notice because it would do something to the writing. It would affect it in a way, right? Sure, sure. So I think mm -hmm. they both have their pros and cons. It just kind of is going to depend on what kind of art you like most because it's subjective, right? Right. That I think the the thing for me, and this sounds like a pathetic thing to worry about, but because I'm sort of like trying to get rid of my paper issues, uh, reading the paper issue and enjoying the coloring as much as I did made me want to hold on to it more because I do enjoy reading digital because it's just so convenient, but I'm kind of torn now. You know what I mean? Because I've been getting rid right. of a lot of my old comics and... I'm on the verge of getting rid of my Spider-Mans, and it's like one of the most painful things I've ever done. <laughs> so then, just don't, don't do it. Yeah, I, uh, but you know how many comics I have, Becca? It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's like overwhelming. So, anyway, but like, I think you for me, uh, oh, sorry, Becca, what oh, were you? Sorry. No, 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 go. I was just gonna say you have enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, I think for me, I really like reading digital comics because it's one convenient. Two, I have it like on the go wherever i am uh and it's also cheap if i'm yeah. not enjoying the comic but 
if I know that I'm going to go back to a certain issue or arc or series, I will go back and buy the physical copies of them. Sure. And that's how I do it. So I, I will usually read it digitally first on Marvel Unlimited. And then again, if, if I go back to Marvel Unlimited to read it again, I'll go buy it. That way I, I have a physical thing- copy of it. Because I, I do like like holding the comic i i I, sure i love like you were saying the the original artwork on the newsprint if it if it was uh if it was an older one or the the new uh newer style with the more glossy cleaner art i don't know i think the other thing is for me is uh as far as modern comics on shiny paper i have no attachment to those Okay. So I'd re- I, I would have no problem reading a digital version of a modern comic, but it's these old pre-1992-ish comics that are all on newsprint with right. the old dots and, you know, the mismatched color and that. that that's the only, that's the comic I have attachment to, the old ones, you know. So overall, so I would recommend this issue. I definitely think it was the best of the bunch. It's definitely yeah. a story that I would, I would look forward to rereading again. Uh, Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that... This one was a little bit slower, but I think it was uh, more well-rounded. The art was really great. Coloring was fun. Uh, Yeah, I'd recommend it. All right, Becca, what do you think? You recommend it? Oh, yeah. Jack-O-Lantern is just such a kind of like a hokey bad guy that I'm always... I've always loved the the less popular Spider-Man villains. Like, you know, my favorite's Mysterio. Like, anyone that Mm -hmm. looks and is kind of weird and like doesn't really isn't serious at all even in a serious comic i always love those ones just because Mm -hmm. they're fun to read and sure to me that's sometimes like the most important things like i play a lot of video games and i'm always like oh is it fun because then i'll play it but if it's not fun i don't want to right like experience it so yeah every i do like serious comics and i do like but i'm not always in the mood to sit down and read about like black widow's haunting past sometimes you just want to grab a a comic and you want to go oh spider-man's taking pictures of jack (laughs) lantern and he was in a coma and he bit his tooth and he hopped away on his pogo stick like that's what i wanted today and that's what i got so i would absolutely recommend this kind of stuff reading these old comics is always fun to me because they they are like especially like these one-off things are all they're like hokey and they're fun and they're entertaining and they're just a good read so i would recommend it for sure Great. Now, here's my question. So, from reviewing these three comics, are you more or less excited to read Spider-Man comics from this era? <laughs> I mean, <Or> you... <laughs> I honestly, I haven't read, like, a Peter Parker Spider-Man comic in a while. I've been, like, mm-hmm. Spider-Gwen and Miles all the way. Mm. Nice. Okay. Because, like, I mean, that's, that's kind of, like, my thing. So, so I'm always down to read Spider-Man stuff. I just don't actively go out of my way to, to to read it as much because for me, it's like, I've been there. I've read the Peter Parker story. Okay, I got it. And like modern Peter Parker is kind of a little less uh, relatable to me sure. in a way. Yeah. Um, but if he's with Miles or Gwen or if there's crossovers, I'm, I'm always down. And I mean, I miss Spider-Man being a, a kid. Oh yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. But he can't. I'm. I'm glad that he's not anymore, though. Because now that I have other, other younger spiders to to watch over. 
Yeah, I I can completely agree with that. Actually, I I kind of like these new Spider Men for this new generation. I feel like Peter Parker is a very classic superhero, and he'll always kind of be that you know vision and like a image of a hero and he'll always be that same Peter Parker but kind of passing on that mantle for other people I think is is fantastic so I I really love and enjoy reading Miles anyway I hate all those new characters I like Spidey I like Peter Parker okay so that's it for me Um, but I want to thank Bex Luther for joining us (laughs) I want to thank Bex Luther for joining us this week until next Monday on the next episode of Here Comes the Spider Cast. See you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.